Looking for a graduation gift to inform, inspire, and encourage? When you give a subscription to Christianity Today, you're giving redemptive, relevant news and thoughtful balanced dialogue about the church, current issues, and public theology. Visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to get a discounted student subscription for the graduates in your life. Starting at only $2 per month, this gift will engage and grow their faith throughout the year. Click the link in the show notes or visit orderct.com slash graduate gifts to order now. Russell Moore, and you're listening to Christianity Today's Russell Moore Show. I'm the editor-in-chief over at Christianity Today, and this is where we have conversations and questions from a Christian perspective. And so before we get started, uh, be sure to send me your question. Maybe it's about uh, an issue you're grappling with in the Bible. Maybe it's a question that you're working through in your family or at work. Uh, or just something that you're, you're seeing around you and you're, you're trying to, to think, how do I either think about this or what do I do? Send that to us at questions at russellmore.com. And as always, we are joined by our producer, Ashley Hales, who is with us. Hey, Ashley, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing today? Doing great. Mm-hmm. Ready to talk about whatever's on the minds of our listeners. So our very first question concerns an issue of relationship. A woman Okay. Yeah, a woman married a Christian man, but now he no longer considers himself a Christian. So a little uh-huh. bit on the context. So when they were married, her husband professed faith, but he does not any longer. She's seen him grow. Okay. She's seen their marriage thrive. He still goes to church with them, but he's also made his lack of faith public. And so here's her question about the fallout, and there's a few here. Her first question is, does she take 1 Peter 3 literally and not speak about the gospel or the Bible to him? Mm -hmm. And then a question more of community. Should he meet with one of their pastors or or a counselor regularly to work out some of this lack of evidence that he's been researching? And then the third part of her question is really a personal question. If he no longer comes to church with us, how do they handle that with their young children? They have three kids ages six and under. Ha, huh, but he's still going to church with them he's now. He's still going to church, yeah. Well, you know, uh, let, let me take uh, take uh, each piece uh, of this. There are a lot of moving parts yeah, uh, yep. in this question. Um, the first one, when it comes to 1 Peter 3, uh, of course, uh, listeners, if you're not familiar with that, what she's referring to is the Apostle Peter is writing to uh, women uh, in the churches in the first century who were married to uh, non-Christian, usually literally pagan uh, men, and and says, let your conduct be uh, what wins your husband without a word uh, there. Okay, so she's wanting to know, does that mean that she should never bring up anything about Jesus or the gospel with her husband? And no, I do not think it means that. Because what the Apostle Peter is dealing with is a, a situation in which women had no power 
in uh, in first century Roman Empire, uh, a a situation in which a woman would come to her husband about a, a religious issue would not only be counterproductive, it would put her in danger. Yeah. I, I think the point that Peter's making that applies directly to you is to love your husband, um, let your, your conduct be uh, in accordance with the gospel and have patience. So I really don't think, and this would apply to women or men, I don't think that um, having a sort of belligerent or a hectoring kind of pose when it comes to the gospel is the is the way to go. And I think that's what Peter's uh, talking about here. That's especially true because it sounds like what you're dealing with is a, a, a husband who used to profess profess faith in Christ. So he's he's got an understanding, at least at the cognitive level, of the gospel. And so have some patience. Every conversation does not need to be uh, John 3, 16. Uh, <laughs> love him the way that you, you loved him before. And, you know, what I would say to you is also don't assume that this is some permanent state of affairs. I mean, there, there are... The Apostle Peter who's writing that um, uh, to the, the women in the first century churches was somebody who himself had had uh, at, at least at least one huge momentary uh, lapse of faith. Right. And so there are people who can, they can have uh, these um, these times in their lives and, and we shouldn't just assume, oh, well, that means he's permanently an atheist now. There may be a lot of things going on in his life and, and be patient to, with him in that is what I would say. What about the issue with their kids? How does she, as a, the believing parent, still help in their own formation uh, while maybe, yeah. especially if, if her husband no longer chooses to attend church with them? What does that look like? Well, I think, uh, I mean, first of all, I think it's, it's really encouraging and commendable that he is still attending church mm -hmm. with them. That that tells me that he's concerned about this with the children as much as she is, um, or, or at least to some degree. And so I would take that as an encouragement. And I would, um, I would talk to him. I mean, I'm assuming mm -hmm. on the basis of this question that this is not a bad marriage. Um, and so I would talk to him and say, look, how do we handle this with our kids? And it, it may be that he says, I'm going through this, this time of questioning my faith, uh, but continue to develop and, and form the children. It, it could be that that's what he says. Now, if there are, if there are other issues where your husband is uh, belligerent or, or wanting to ridicule you or something like that. That's a marriage question. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the children, I would continue. And if they know about this, which they probably do, I mean, kids know a lot more mm -hmm. than we think they do about what's going on. Um, I would just say, look, um, people sometimes have difficult times. Show them some of those examples of um, uh, Simon Peter sinking down into the water and, and Jesus pulls him up, but Jesus doesn't give up on people. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I would take that opportunity to don't, don't say anything that would be derogatory uh, or, or passive aggressively derogatory uh, mm -hmm. about him would be mm -hmm. the main thing that I would be worried about. Yeah. And I think so much of what you're saying too is really applicable 
to a lot of folks these days who tend to be kind of stepping away from the church. Um, and I th- so I think, you know, the application, even if you personally, you know, have not had that happen in your own life, the sense of mm-hmm. how we operate amongst people who have stepped away from their faith is really so helpful. So thank you. For well, that yeah. Result. And I, th- yeah. I think the worst thing that we can do is to uh, is to say to people, OK, when you've come to this point of deconstruction or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is now your permanent uh, situation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what's happening is people are wrestling with, and they're saying, okay, what, uh, I, maybe they've seen some things as, as a lot of us have that have mm-hmm. shaken them. And so they're saying, how much of this is real and how yeah. much is not? I mean, Jesus understands that and mm-hmm. it speaks to that. And so ha- having this sense where people feel like once they once they say, look, I don't even know if I believe in Jesus anymore, that that we're just putting them in a completely different permanent category yeah. uh, makes the situation worse. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you for that. As as And I think this also kind of leads into our next question is having to do with some of these issues that are hot topics that the church is trying to figure out how to address. And a mm-hmm. listener asks about what is a person to do when the leadership of a church is unwilling to address cultural topics? And so he, he writes about his own perspective. He's asking a, a group of elders at his church to actually have a biblically based discussion formed around some of the issues of the day, including racism, refugees, and the poor. And they denied that request. And so he he writes, he says, their reasoning was that such a discussion did not fit with the core values of the church. And he is sure to let you know, Russell, he wasn't looking to turn the pulpit into anything different, but to have a discussion group on the side. So what yeah. is he supposed to do that? Do with that reality? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I think it's hard for me to tell um, it, from that question exactly what the stance of this church leadership is, because I can think of a couple different scenarios. I mean, first of all, that I can guarantee you that church is not refusing to speak to quote unquote cultural issues or quote unquote social issues. I guarantee you they are. It's just that they're selecting which ones Mm -hmm. uh, that they want to talk about and which ones they don't, probably because of uh, whatever the makeup of the congregation is. And so Mm -hmm. they're, they're kind of leaning into where the congregation agrees and leaning away where the congregation disagrees. So it it could be that that's what's going on, that you really do have a, uh, have a congregation that has made the decision, we're going to follow Jesus in the areas where we already agree with him, but we're not going to talk about uh, issues that, I mean, Jesus, the poor, uh, Jesus talks about all the time. Refugees is a, this is a big uh, topic in, in scripture. Racism, the entire New Testament is dealing with th- those issues of the idolatry of the flesh. So those are, those are not extraneous issues. And it might be that you're in a church that is trying to do an end run around the conscience on those things. And if that's the case, then, uh, then I would really think through whether or not that congregation is a good fit for me. But it might not be that. 
It, it might be that instead you have pastors and leaders who don't know how to uh, engage in those conversations and uh, they're afraid. Mm-hmm. And in, in that case, you know, it's working in um, adoption, orphan care sorts of issues. I've seen this so many times where somebody would come up and say, my pastor doesn't get it. And I would say, well, maybe what's happening is your pastor thinks that when you come and say, can we do something for foster care kids or for orphans in any way uh, in our neighborhood or around the world, maybe what he's hearing is, I need you to design another program. Mm-hmm. And instead of that, maybe what you should do is to say, hey, if we were to come up with uh, a program, would you bless that? Now, mm-hmm. it might be what this person has done. Maybe what they've done is is to come and say, can we uh, have a, our a small group discussion about how the gospel um, influences issues of race or refugees or the, or the poor? Maybe they've done that. And the church is saying, we don't want to have those conversations, Um, but maybe not. And and if not, I'd try that first. Mm -hmm. That's a really wise approach. And, you know, as we think about resistant leadership, I think it's important to note just, right, the tiredness, right, of of pastors these last few years. Um, But how do we make, even if our pastors and leaders are tired and they're resistant, how do we still make space in the church for some of these topics? Well, I guarantee you that your pastor is tired. Yep. Uh, as a matter I'm of fact, to one, I, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and I think uh, maybe tired is too um, is too low level of a word. I, I think there are a lot of pastors that coming out of this time of hyper politicization and COVID um, and the fact that they're they're getting hit uh, constantly, no matter what they do. There are a lot of pastors who are really, really uh, exhausted. And so take that into account um, when you're having these these conversations and have a have a little bit of have a little bit of grace, Uh, because, again, you have to you have to be able to tell the difference between it's kind of um, I was having this conversation with somebody the other day Mm -hmm. about somebody who had um, said something uh, and this this third person thought that it would be offensive to me and I said it wasn't offensive to me at all because I understood that it was not coming from malice right. it was just coming from somebody who doesn't know how to handle a situation like <laughs> right, that right. tell the difference between those two mm-hmm. things because that's going to matter in how you how you deal with the person mm, even if it's your pastor right yeah that's great This episode is brought to you by smallgroups.com. Find everything you need to build, grow, and maintain a healthy, thriving small group ministry. Smallgroups.com equips you to develop your ministry model and train your leaders, to nurture spiritual growth in group members, to troubleshoot typical group problems, and also to avoid common pitfalls. Whatever your role in developing life-changing community, we have resources for you. Visit smallgroups.com today. Well, here's another question about authority and leadership and how to how to deal with it. So this comes from a leader who's worked with college students in New England for more than two decades. And uh-huh. he's seen 
a lot of fruit, a slow fruit in his own work and in the area. And then recently there's been several new churches that have come in and been planted. And some people are coming to faith and there's some great things happening there. And yet what's happening often in those churches, the culture of those churches is that they're there's kind of this unreasonable expectation so that they tend to be treating second tier issues as if they were first tier issues. And mm-hmm. so he writes every decision in some of these churches that he's noticing um, that they require these parishioners to kind of run by the church in advance. So a mm-hmm. lot of the students are feeling scared to leave. They're feeling pressured to Um, kind of have their lives micromanaged by these Mm -hmm, churches. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, and then he also widens the frame a little bit. And he says, you know, it's not just limited to the few students that he knows of, but he's noticing that a lot of those under his care are also needing healing from wider, what he calls spiritual abuse. And his question maybe to just kick us off is, how does he know or how does one know when it's right to intervene? You know, he's not a member of these churches and yet these students are still under his care. What yeah. should he do? Well, it's it's hard it's hard to know just at face value when someone says my church is focusing on second tier issues um, and micromanaging my life. Because sometimes what people mean by that, I've, I've had situations where what people mean by that is that the church is teaching through the Bible and right. they're teaching uh, the imperatives of scripture uh, in addition to the indicatives, just as the Bible does. So not just who you are in Christ, but what does it look like uh, to, to walk in Christ. Sometimes that's what people mean. Doesn't sound like, I mean, this someone has enough experience that he knows the difference between that and a really authoritarian kind of micromanaging. And, and we have seen a lot of that uh, where there are congregations where uh, people have to uh, run by the pastor's situations that scripture does not bind people's consciences on. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that has to do with things that scripture does shape and form the the principles and the character. Um, so for instance, you might, uh, I mean, the Bible speaks to you about uh, the fact that parents, you ought to care about your, your children and, and raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It doesn't tell you where they need to go to school. Mm-hmm. And if you have a if you have a church that's speaking with authority where Scripture is not, uh, then then that that often leads into a kind of authoritarianism, and that's especially true once you're dealing with uh, issues that are, are Romans fourteen sort of um, we we bear with one another's consciences on on those things. Like Paul used the example of um, eating vegetables or eating meat, so. It, it, it could be that what you're seeing is a kind of authoritarianism. What I would say to this person, because uh, he or she's a, a campus ministry a minister, been, been working for a long time in the area, is to first uh, maybe contact these leaders and say, hey, can we have a cup of coffee? And say, these are the things that, that I'm seeing happening in the lives of the students that I minister to. Mm-hmm. And it, it might be that he's dealing with uh, people who just aren't aware of how to do it better uh, or or the or they're not aware of the fact that they're actually doing this 
And so it might be that that conversation will address uh, a lot of it. And then with, uh, with the students, I would just work on teaching them how to differentiate between God's authority and an authority that's less than that, uh, and, and to try to see whether or not the situation they're in is authoritarian in that way, because mm-hmm. because it's going to lead to the opposite uh, sort of um, sort of result. I was just uh, reading this morning uh, the sociologist Christopher Lash um, writing about what happens with children in a home that's either authoritarian or that's chaotic and permissive. And mm-hmm. what happens is the same thing. Uh, you end up with right. kids who associate uh, authority just with strength and power. And you end up with kids who then are easily abused by power or, or maybe even abuse power themselves because they don't know uh, any other way. So that, that means this is, this is serious enough um, for the, caring for these college students' lives and souls requires some, some intervention. It's just, going to de- it's just going to depend on what level of intervention takes place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I love how you're saying, you know, it's important too that that campus minister is able then to help disciple those students to begin to to grow in wisdom and discernment too. So yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, Ashley, one of the things that I've um, noticed, and I've, I've mentioned this here before, but working with a lot of college students over the past several years, I, I've noticed a shift uh, in that <laughs> uh, when I first started out in ministry, I was having to say a lot, especially to late high school, early college age students, uh, take seriously holiness. Um, you, you, you would have people, well, I want to be a Christian, but I want to live my life whatever way I want to. I almost never find that now or very rarely find that now. Instead, what I find are students who, or, or young people who have trouble believing that God loves them mm-hmm. and who who sometimes are so hard on themselves because it, even though what's happening with them is they're repenting of sin and they're sinners mm-hmm. and they're confessing sin and they're they're starting over it but i I think there's been a um a misunderstanding where where people think repentance of sin means I repent one time and that sin is over and I never grapple with it again. And if I do, it means that somehow uh, I'm not really a Christian or it means that God's mad at me Mm. uh, and is going to punish me. And and there's that sense. And sometimes that that leads to people searching out hyper-authority. Hmm. The people who are going to tell them, do this, 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 this. Um, and and I'm going to tell you that because it, it feels like at first it's almost taking the responsibility off of you, but it doesn't work. Yeah. I mean, it, it, what it ends up with is a kind of um, exhaustion and exasperation. And it's just not the way Jesus deals with people. Mm. That's really helpful. And, you know, and we can kind of widen the frame out from, you know, hit that original question about how do we help? Um, people heal from spiritual abuse. Could you speak yeah. a little bit about maybe that term and how we could define it first of all, because it's yeah. kind of been thrown around a lot. So I think having a good definition, so we know what is actually abusive mm-hmm. and then 
how do we begin to to care for one another pastorally in that sense? Well, I mean, think of what abuse is. Um, mistreating someone, whether uh, physically or emotionally or sexually, a variety of different ways that, that people can abuse. Um, the way I would define it is to take the power that has been given uh, to you uh, in order to uh, care for people and to build people up and misusing that power. Now, either for the advancement of the self uh, or to to harm other people. And so spiritual abuse, I, I think, is when someone is using the authority of Jesus um, in order to do bad things. So that, that could be, I mean, you, you see a lot of, um, um, I remember when the, Ravi Zacharias' uh, mm -hmm. report yeah. uh, came out, the third-party report. Um, and, I mean, there's so much in that that's awful and devastating, just reading page after page. But the thing that was the most shocking to me is the way that some of, according to the report, that allegedly some of these women that he abused, um, it, he would say, Jesus... Jesus wants you to do this. Think about what's happening with the ministry and so forth. And the reason that that, um, the reason that that was so nauseating to me is because I've seen that happen on mm -hmm. a small scale many times where someone will sexually abuse and say, if you say anything about it, it means that you're harming the witness, you're harming the church, you're, you're doing this, or you're not forgiving uh, if you if you call for some kind of accountability, mm -hmm. I mean, what's happening there is they're using biblical concepts of grace and forgiveness uh, in ways not only that Scripture does not use them, but in a way to harm people and to prey upon people. Um, and so, when that is is happening, when that abuse, however it's coming to you, is coming with this veneer of uh, spiritual authority. That it, it's it's so dangerous because number one, it can't be questioned, or it right, feels like right. it can't be yep. questioned, and secondly, because the way that you receive it is not just whatever abuse and harm you're receiving from that person, but it feels like to you that you're receiving it from God, and um, that is a really awful uh, sort of situation. So I would say, and I talk to people who are in this situation just about every day I've been in this situation. I think, I think it's, it's wrong to set a timetable for other people's uh, healing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, there was a time when somebody who'd been through a really awful situation would say to me, um, I can't go to church right now. And my response would be, don't neglect the assembling uh, of yourselves together. Make sure that you're uh, still in church. You, you need to be in church. And in some cases, I would still say that because the person is isolating. And, and, and sometimes the person, uh, somebody who's been through a difficult situation just isolates and that, and that makes the situation worse. But that's not what's happening with a lot of people. What they're saying is, I'm not at a place where I can be there right now. And 
have have patience with that and mm-hmm. and understand even when if you have somebody who's come into your congregation or or into your ministry who's been through some spiritual abuse um it's going to take a while for that person not to be um, sort of in an adrenal kind of stance. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I, know, I know that's the case uh, for me. I've not been through anything compared to what a lot of people have with uh, sexual abuse or something like that. But I've been in a really toxic, uh, bad environment. Mm-hmm. And I still have nightmares about it every night. And it's been, it's been a relatively long time, uh, some people would say, and, and would say, well, why aren't you over that yet? Yeah. It, it takes time yeah. to heal. Yeah. Well, I think it's really fascinating that, you know, some of these, a lot of these questions really, you're encouraging us to, to remember the process that it takes a long time to grow into the image of Jesus in our everyday lives, but it also, or, or even just the hopefulness, right? That a spouse comes mm-hmm. back to the faith or that, that we can actually begin to heal. It's not a one and done sort of thing. It's not. It's. A, I mean, we all want a, an easy three-step right. process. Yep. And uh, that's. Uh, there, there was someone I, I just was reading uh, last night who was talking about, um, he was talking about attention and, and how to, how to reclaim attention mm-hmm. in sort of a social media information overload. And he said, there are no maps here, only compasses. Yeah. And th- there are some things that the Bible gives us maps for. You yeah. do this, this, this. But there are a lot of things that Scripture gives us a compass. It says walk in this direction yeah. and the Spirit is going to be walking with you and working within you and be patient and, and let the Spirit work. Mm. Well, thank you for that encouragement. It's been a real joy to chat about some of these listener questions. Thank you for bringing your wisdom, Dr. Moore. Well, welcome aboard, yeah. Ashley. I'm really excited uh, for the the days to come yes. on the Russell Moore Show. And I would just like to say to uh, all of you, if you uh, benefited from anything in this show or you think somebody else would, uh, send it to them. Uh, be sure to subscribe uh, wherever you uh, listen to podcasts, and it really helps us if you leave a review. And tap on the show notes. You'll find some resources, including how you can have a trial membership to be here with us at Christianity Today. And send us your questions at questions at russellmore.com. This is Russell Moore, and this is The Russell Moore Show. The Russell Moore Show is a production of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Eric Petrick, Russell Moore, and Mike Cosper. Hosted by Russell Moore. Produced by Ashley Hales. Associate producers Abby Perry and Azare Phelps. CT administration provided by Christine Kolb. Social media by Kate Lucky. Director of operations for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Production assistance provided by Core Media. Audio engineer is Kevin Duthu. Coordinator is Beth Grabencourt. Video producer is John Rowland. The theme song for the Russell Moore Show is Dusty Delta Day by Lennon Hutton. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com 
or wherever you get your podcasts. Just these guys, you know?